Anthony Skinner. Ian Cron. I am looking at you across a seven-foot teak That's right. table, our new podcast desk Woo-hoo! here at uh, Typology Studios in 12 South, 12 South of Nashville, Tennessee neighborhood, and uh, above the garage, above, above my garage. garage. We were just at a party last night, and somebody was telling me all the really good podcasts are done in the garage. Oh, from <laughs> your lips to my ear. Yes. So now we're in the club. We are in the club. Yeah. And how much did this thing weigh getting up the staircase again? Oh, my gosh. This It's like 84 inches by 40 inches, and it is heavy. It's like 300 pounds. It basically took your whole family to get it up here. <laughs> yes. Minus, Minus me. you. <laughs> Hey, where was he when we needed him? <laughs> Conveniently missing. Just like their childhoods. <laughs> so speaking of podcasts, tell me what you're listening to these days. Oh, I'm a podcast junkie. Yeah, I love them. I listen, you know, I listen to my podcast in the shower. Oh, do you really? Yeah, I have my yeah. iPad and I just lean it on the thing. It's not very technically uh, sophisticated, but I yeah. listen to... So uh, recently, I uh, definitely I listen to Dax Shepard. Oh yeah, Dax is great. Armchair expert, it's yeah, called. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I I definitely I listen to Mark Marin, WWTF. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't listen to Joe Rogan. I watch clips of Joe. And he's got the biggest podcast in America, yeah. in the world. Yeah. He just sold his podcast to Spotify for two hundred million. Yeah. Why haven't Crazy. you gotten me a two hundred million dollar deal? <laughs> We're headed there. Dang. <laughs> yeah, same. I like Mark Marin, WTF. Um, occasionally I'll catch some Joe Rogan. I like the portal with Eric Weinstein. How about restoring the soul with Michael Cusick? I listened to that podcast. Oh, you know, I love me some Michael Cusick. Um, Questlove Supreme. I have Questlove. Great. Yeah. yeah. I'll tell you, I'll tell you a podcast I love uh-huh. is, uh, the, the show Smartless. Smartless. Have you ever heard Smartless? No. Oh, it is awesome. It's with, uh, Jason Bateman. Uh, Sean Hayes and Will Arnett. Oh, wow. And the three of them, it's Ooh, really, really, cool. it's funny, it's charming. Yeah. It's, you know, everything you would expect from those three guys. What's the name of that one again? Smartless. Smartless, okay. I'm going to check that out. I want to tell you about another great podcast. Yeah. Today's interview with Bill Haslam, former governor of Tennessee and author of the new book, Faithful Presence, The Promise and the Peril of Faith in the Public Square. I read this book in an early gallery, galley of it, yeah. and it, it is terrific. Oh, that's good. And this conversation with yeah. him yeah. was really great. Oh, really good. Yeah, he was really self-disclosing. Yes. And uh, I think a lot of people are going to really take a lot away from this, and especially threes, as he is a three. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Through and through. Let me just read his bio, because it, it's, yeah. the, it's the best way for me to kind of explain who Bill is. Bill is the former two-term mayor of Knoxville, Tennessee, and former two-term governor of Tennessee, re-elected in 2014 with the largest victory margin of any gubernatorial election in Tennessee history. Wow. Did you know that? I didn't that? know that. No. I didn't know it either. Wow. He's a friend, and I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, during his tenure, Tennessee became the fastest improving state in the country in K through 12 education, and the first wow. state to provide free community college or technical school for all its citizens. Wow. I could go on and on. In addition, he added 475,000 new jobs in the state. Mm. Now he is a visiting professor of political science at Vanderbilt. 
He and his wife, Chrissy, who is a prize, I might add, have three children and nine grandchildren. And this conversation uh, is not only discussing this remarkable new book, but really his remarkable life Mm -hmm. and his journey as a three on the Enneagram. Uh, He's so self-aware and thoughtful, Mm -hmm. really thoughtful. So shall we get to it? Let's get to it. All right. With no further ado, this is my friend, Bill Haslam. Bill Haslam, Enneagram 3, former uh, mayor of Knoxville, Tennessee, two-term, former two-term governor of the state of Tennessee. Welcome to Typology. And longtime friend of Ian. You left out that part. I did. On my resume, that's the top line I put, (laughs) way above governor. It is really a great honor to have you and it's Christy fun in our to be lives. Here. It, it's it's been a, a wonderful, wonderful. That's been one of the highlights of moving to Tennessee. Is I'm I'm assuming that's why you moved to Tennessee. It is okay. Good. Yeah, when I knew that you were here, I just up and moved, <laughs> up and moved. We keep moving closer and closer. So pretty soon we'll probably just share a home. <laughs> if, Ann, if Ann and Chrissy are okay with that. <laughs> Listen, we're going to get to your enneagram journey in a minute, but where I want to start is with your your new book, Faithful Presence: The Promise and Perils of Faith in the Public Square. Most of all because I think it's a super important book. Like, you know, I, I read a ton of books, and uh, I'm, you know, with a fairly critical eye, and periodically I come across books, and I go, well, that's not just a good book. That's an important book. Like, that book has to be read. So let's just start with the basic interviewer question, which you've heard a million times now <laughs> since the book came out two weeks ago, which is, just give us the premise of the book, and most importantly, what compelled you to write it? Let me start with what compelled me. You know, I spent a lot of time uh, in office dealing with issues that people feel strongly about. And I saw some people who expressed that in great ways and some people who didn't. And um, I sometimes saw, uh, I compare it to, you know, when you go to a a kid's peewee baseball game and parents are screaming at the top of their lungs about a six-year-old game where they don't even keep score. And you'd see people acting that same way in politics. Mm. Uh, And one of the things that concerned me is that the people of faith, uh, in my case, Christians, um, acted the same thing as people who weren't people of faith. They acted the exact same way. And um, it hurt to see that happen and also saw how counterproductive it is. Mm. So that's why I wrote it. The premise of the book is this, is... uh, no surprise, we're as a nation, we're at each other's throats. We're pretty evenly divided. People don't think that. They think everybody, everybody thinks like I do, but mm. we're, we're kind of a 50-50 country, you know, with a little bit back and forth. Uh, and people are, are mad about it. And they've gone beyond mad to thinking, you've got bad motives. Not only are you wrong, but you're, you're wrong for, for, for really bad reasons. And um, that's where I felt like, you know, b- Christians, believers, people of faith, however, however you want to term it, we've, like I said, we're just like everyone else. And I think in the, 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 to me, the, the, the hard part of that is why I think that's happening. And I think that's because believers are reacting out of fear, the last thing that we should react out of. Mm. You know, if you, t- if you look at the most, some of the most common admonitions in Scripture, it's do not fear. And I think a lot of Christians look at a world that's or the culture's changing rapidly, and they think, uh, "Oh man, it, it's it's slipping away from us." 
there's so much at stake here. Let's set aside all those things about how Jesus taught us to act because mm-hmm. the stakes are too high. Mm-hmm. And if we unilaterally disarm, our side's going to get wiped out. Mm. Wow. You know, uh, one of the things I've thought about is that, you know, 50 years ago, like my mom and dad were on opposite ends of the political right. spectrum. Right. You know, my dad was a Bill Buckley conservative, you know, uh, National Review guy. And, you know, my mom was not, <laughs> you know. And, and they had you. And they had me, right? <laughs> Which is actually how I turned out, right? Which <laughs> exactly. is sort of down, you know, a fastball down the middle, right? You know, or just someone who was, you know, I, I guess I would sort of characterize myself as someone who recognizes that, uh, Neither party has the answers to all of life's problems. In reality, too, I think to myself, well, you know, actually, politics only affects about 10% of my daily life. Right? It's, it's not, you know, basically what consumes me, my children, my right. work, my marriage, uh, my friendships. This is where I spend the, right. you know, it's right, not right. like, you know, I don't have the TV running all you the time. It. But so I think there's an overemphasis on the role of politics. But I, I also think that. 50 years ago, people would have said, I have an opinion about politics, but I'm not my politics. Like it was, like, I think people have become so over-identified. Like very, very well said. Right. So their whole identity is their party or their position. And so when someone disagrees with it, it feels like an entire negation of their person, not just an opinion. Now it's their person. And of their deepest values and concerns. Right. Yeah. Because everything's wrapped up in that. Right, and that means the conversation cannot happen. Right. You know? But, but back to what you said earlier, I think one of the issues that we have is, is this. You know, um, one of the hallmarks, I think, of being a person of faith is starting with this idea that we're broken people, like mm-hmm. we're imperfect or sinful. Use whatever you want to mm-hmm. word you want to use, but I'll, I'll stick with broken right now, which means, you know, in the, in the 30 minutes since I first saw you, I've probably, you know, done made 10 mistakes and i've made 2000 today I'm, but 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 the, the i only is, counted four that's right well <laughs> uh but you, you know, the point is we we know we're broken imperfect people the you know as the book of common prayer says all we like sheep have gone astray right. that's kind of fundamental to what we believe and yet we enter the public square thinking i've got all this right and i have the right answers and um instead of the sense of I, I'm, I'm firm in my, convic- my convictions. I know what I really believe. But I also know that I, I don't get everything exactly right. And so I should be coming into this argument with the hope of getting to the right answer, not just having you agree to my answer. And that's where we are today. Yeah. The, where I always hope that people can get to, I love the word irenic, right? Just meaning a reconciling spirit. You know, how do we bring that voice of reason right. and care Right. Uh, with the desire to live in you know, reconciling right. relationships with other people. And that, that's the word I kept coming away with as I read the book. Like, yeah. like Bill has a real ironic spirit. Well, you know, I, it's, it's interesting. If you think about the things that, you know, Christians are known for in the public square, there's certain issues. Um, but if, you know, and I, we talked about, you and I have talked about this before, you know, James says, you know, what's wisdom from above? It's, it's pure peaceable, gentle, full of mercy and good fruit, open to reason, impartial and sincere. Mm. And if I said, you know, I said it, are, are Christians in the public square knowing, known for being open to reason, 
most people would say, no, not even close. But yet that's that's a that's instruction for us. Right. Yeah. And it's a big blind spot if we're not practicing. Yeah. Right. What gives you hope about the public sphere? You know, uh, it's it, it's this. It, we can all get really, really frustrated because we see people who we see politicians who are acting like politicians. You right. know, people, and maybe even more, we see people who, well, they're they're not the, the they're more like playing a senator on TV than they are actually trying to be a senator and solve problems. Right. So I think that's what discourages. But what encourages me is how many people like you said, in real life, really are focused on the right things. And back to what you said, you know, what happens in Washington or what happens in your state capitol is really important, but it's just a piece of their life. Right. And they're, they're out trying to say, how do I make my community better? Mm-hmm. And it is, I think as frustrated as people are about the national scene, you can look around at communities and towns around the country and say, there's a lot of people who are living with an other-centeredness about them that's encouraging. You know, it's funny you should say that. I remember um, uh, a counselor, a friend of mine. Um, as you know, I've been in therapy forever, <laughs> sometimes with two therapists at a time, <laughs> fooling, just, just telling a joke. Um, you know, I uh, remember a guy saying, I was complaining and bitching about something that, you know, that happened during the day. He says, have you counted the number of things that went right today? Yeah. And I went, mm, what do you mean? He says, well, you got out of bed. Yeah. You're breathing. Your wife kissed you this morning. Yeah. Your dog greeted you with a wagon tail. Yeah. Your house still has a roof. You know, and he just, he said, like, your blood cells decided to do this today. Right. It, and it, it, the, in the millions of things that, you know, I think to myself, of course, on the, on, on, in media, which is a disaster right now, yeah. the, the clickbait is, you know, uh, all dominating. And so you, you get this sense that there's nothing going right. And you think, do you have any idea of how many heroes are walking yeah. around the world it, doing good? It's, it's. I mean, I was incredibly encouraged as governor when I got there. People who are, you think, oh, these bureaucrats who work for the state, but how many great people there were who mm-hmm. really did just want to serve, whether it be they were in the mental health department or corrections or education. They just wanted to make things better for their piece of the world. Mm. I'm thinking when you were talking about that, how many things, how many good things have happened to you? Uh, you and I know each other because mutual friends, Rick and Joe Woolworth, and they end every day uh, before they go. To, last thing they do before they go to sleep is they tell each other three things they're grateful for from that day, mm-hmm. which is a pretty healthy practice. You know, um, I, I try to do that every single night. Uh, I usually fall asleep just kind of going through oh, an inventory of all yeah, yeah, the things yeah. I, uh, yeah. I'm grateful for. And also think about, well, what could I have done better that I can change tomorrow? Are yeah. there any amends I need to make? Was I short with anybody? Did That's I, a great one. You know, just, and without being self-condemning yeah. or anything else, just like, I'm just going to do a little bit of an inventory yeah. and figure out, well, what do I got to do tomorrow to make something better right. that didn't go well, you know? All right, so um, a question I have for you is, and this has happened to me now with a couple of books, every time you write a book, you, you, a couple of weeks later, a couple of months, a couple of years even, go by and you think, man, I wish I'd said that, mm-hmm. or I wish I hadn't said that, or I hadn't said it that way, or whatever. Have you begun to have any thoughts or feelings like you that? You know, I, because I'm, I don't know that I'll write another book. When I did this one, <clears throat> I said, I'm going to do the audio version myself. And so I went to, yeah, you're laughing because you, you're smarter than that. But, so you go to this studio and record it. And when you do it, you're reading it and you go, well, that, that, I didn't say that very well. Or I didn't, 
you know, I, I got about halfway through of making that point. So my main thought would be actually think what I'm trying to say is the right thing to say. I'm not certain that I said it well enough or strong enough. So kind of like, you know, write, write him. I didn't, didn't sing it with enough gusto. Mm. So what you're saying is that you, ha- you were not emphatic enough or perhaps mm-hmm. at admonishing enough. Yeah, or- I wouldn't say admi- I'm, I'm, I don't do admonishment very well. So uh, I wouldn't say that. But I think just trying to be clear about he- here's why this is such a problem and here's what we can do different. And obviously, I, I, think, I, think, I've done, I, I, mean, I'm, I think I did that in the book. But it's more of my problems, more of, of one of... I wish I'd come on a little stronger at a few points. Did I know that the January 6th yeah. Capitol attack happened after the book was finished, right. that you rushed to do an epilogue? Uh, prologue, yeah. Prologue, I right. mean, right. And um, did that moment then make you think, if I'd known this was going to happen, I'd have said there this? There you go. I mean, if you think about what led us to that point, where we literally have... Um, you know, people trying to break into the Capitol to change the electoral process. Okay, and you can argue about did everything happen the way it should in an election, but, you know, there have been about 50 courts that had reviewed this and said, no, this is right. And you'd had, you know, the, the states that were highly contested were Republican states, Georgia, Arizona, you know, uh, and you'd had lots of people say, no, this is, you know, as close as we can get to getting an election right, we got this one right. And yet you had a group of people say, we're going to go try to overturn that electoral process. And you think about what that means and mm. what it says to the rest of the world. And so I, I was glad I got a chance to come back to add the prologue of like, how did we get here? And so January 6th did definitely add a, uh, a point of emphasis about it. Here's, here's how bad the problem is. Uh, well, we say our prayers we do. We say our prayers, right? But we also, but we also engage, and that's the point of the book. Is not is to is. I, I agree with your premise. Most people hating their daily lives, they're worried about getting their kid to soccer practice right. and their job, et cetera. But my point also is, all this stuff matters. Mm-hmm. Uh, who we elect, not just the decisions they make, but how they carry out government. I mean, you and I have the luxury of not relying on the state or federal government for a lot. You know, you need your driver's license and there are certain things you need, but you don't, you don't rely on a lot of, uh, of, of programs, but some people do. Yeah. And so it really matters that those work well and effectively. And all of us as taxpayers should want our government to be effective and use money wisely and where it's needed the most. So all of this stuff really does matter in terms of serving the common good. Mm-hmm. It does, and and it should be incorporated and baked into our daily calculations. But again, I, I my great concern is that it's very difficult to have a conversation with anyone that has now so over-identified no who question. they are. Right. At that point, the conversation gets wacky. Yeah, right. And, and we all, all of us, and all your listeners, have friends or family members. Yes, There's something like close to twenty percent of the country quit talking to a member of their family after the 2016 election. Right. I mean, just totally quit talking to them. And, and you got it. That, that was five years ago. You, you know, the heat's only been turned up since then. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So I have a question for yep. you that someone actually, we went to a, uh, you did a book reading the night at Donald mm-hmm. Miller's house. It was a wonderful, wonderful night. Don's a great guy, supporter of yours. And he, uh, you know, 
did a super job and afterwards a mutual friend of ours said to me yeah I, you know I want to have these ironic kind of conversations right. if I can use that word again uh, but what if the person's crazy like what if you know in other words what if you're bumping up against you know I you know a QAnon sort of mindset yeah, yeah. that you're like I can't even there's so many conspiracies here that I can't even get into it I mean, how do I do it so t- two things one I mean the, the foundational truth and it's one thing he's talking about in this book is and believe me, when you run for office and you're out or you're in office, you talk to a lot of people that you leave thinking, oh, 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 my. Like, <laughs> uh, like, you know, I, I tell the story in the book that, uh, you know, we, we were having one of those conversations. We were walking back and the guy who kind of was with me throughout the campaign, you know, helping assist on everything. And he's whistling a tune and I'm trying to figure out the tune. And it was remember the, the country song, you know, God is great. Uh, uh, what was it? God is great, beer is good, and people are crazy. And he's right. kind of whistling that under his breath because you're kind of like, okay, I'm not sure how to respond. But having said that, uh, my point is this is you do have to start with the idea that this, this person really is created in the image of God. I mean, right. that's like it or not, think the ideas are, are crazy or not. So you have to start there uh, and, and, and really in there too. I think the second thing is realize like you're, you're probably with that person. You're not going to pers- talk them out of where they are. So you listen uh, politely and realize that this is not one of those persuadable moments and you move on. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of people have had to resign themselves to default right. fallback positions, you know, and, and are trying to figure out how do I live in, in love with this person? And it's uh, in, in a time that's real challenging, really, really challenging. All right. So we had a, uh, you know, we've had a couple of good moments when you were governor. We went to the Ryman one night. Anthony, I'd tell you this story. I don't think so. Oh, this is a good story. So, so Bill and Chris say, hey, "Why don't you come on over to the governor's mansion first, and then we'll we'll just drive over in our car, right?" So we go over there, and of course, they got one of those, you know, those black suburbans. That, <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, you see them around. They usually have a, they usually have a country star in them, you know, out here on Twelve South yeah. or somewhere like that, yeah. right? And so we go over there, and not only do we get to go in the the car with the governor and his wife with his security detail in the car, but a car in front, and what do you call that car behind again? Chase car. Chase car behind. <laughs> All of them have like, you know, lights going and stuff. Yeah. Like, we didn't stop at a light, bro. I'm talking on Broadway. We didn't stop at a light on Broadway. Like, people that ran out of the street. It's, it been, was, it's been a rough adjustment back to real life. Get to that. So, so, and then they pull up into like the special governor spot outside the Ryman and they look for usher. No, what line? This yeah. guy didn't see a line for eight years. We get, we get inside. We, they take us inside. And then they put us in an elevator so we don't, you know, we're not walking through crowds. And they take us up to the best seat. I thought I had good seats. I invited him to the dang show. Uh-huh. He had better seats than I had. I'm like, rip them up, throw them out, you know? And, and, and so, you know, and you've had, one of the things I love about the book, the reason I bring this up is not only to humiliate you, which is sort of fun, um, but, but also because you tell story after story in here. I, I love the memoirish quality to hear. This is not yeah. just a book, this is not a book that, that you're not, that you're going to read and think, okay, this is just about faith and politics and, but it's also, there's a lot of heart in it about your own yeah. personal journey as a, a person in the public sphere and 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 you know uh you know for example you you tell the story about the portraits tell me about the, like so what the transition from right a public person to right. being an ordinary citizen is pretty big it, well it's not big it's big it's fast right it's wow. like you you know one second you're the governor and you can pardon people and appoint people to boards and 
You have a $40 billion state budget in the next, literally the next second, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, back when, the, when the inauguration of my successor happened, I was sitting next to a, you know, my seat on the stage was next to uh, the, the Senate majority leader. And he turned over and goes, I have never, ever sat next to somebody who's lost so much power so quickly. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and so, uh, and I, I tell the story in the book that this, one of the state reps came over to me. It came, walked up with a, right up when I was over and said, uh, and said, hey, uh, I want to get a picture with the governor. And I got ready to kind of put my arm around him, stand by him. And he handed me his phone so I could take a picture of him and the new governor. <laughs> you know? So it's really fast. Uh, but, you know, actually, the, the, it, you, there's certain things you do miss going to the Ryman and, you know, going from home to your seat in seven and a half minutes. Yes. Uh, I miss it. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm kind of surprised you're still my friend. I, thought, you know, uh, I am that shallow. I, I could it was go just away. That benefit. Uh, but, you know, there's a part of your life you get back to. Mm-hmm. And you also, you, you know, during that period of time, you miss being in the car by yourself or being in the car with, with just your wife or uh, having the freedom to go for a, a walk by yourself. Uh, so there's, there, there's a while all that's really fun after eight years you've kind of had enough yeah ready to have a little life back well so this brings me to the enneagram because because i am curious how an enneagram three a performer makes the transition right. from uh moving through the world uh recognized at least by everyone as a as a success in the sense that you have achieved high office they may not right. like you right, right. or what you stand for but you know you have a reached a certain pinnacle right, right? um we know that enneagram threes the uh in let's say an unhealthy not very self-aware place are people who have a need to succeed and we right. know people right. like this right. you know we know a ton of them right uh have a need to succeed to appear successful and to avoid failure at all costs this would be a hard transition harder maybe for a three than any other type yeah I- Actually, I'm going to go back before the transition. What's really hard to think about it for a three is running for office mm-hmm. because it's so visible and so vulnerable. There's not a second prize ribbon. You either win or you don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you're somebody that succeeding matters a lot to, then you're, you're either going to succeed or not in front of a whole lot of people. Mm. And you know, when I first when I first ran for mayor back in two thousand three, it it got to me. I mean, mm. in a way that I'm I'm almost embarrassed to admit. Yeah. I mean, I was, you know, uh, the Bible tells us to be anxious for nothing, but I I was anxious for about a year. Yeah. And then when I ran for governor the first time again, about the same thing. And I it it I don't think I really understood. Kind of. I mean, I, I definitely wasn't thinking in terms of threes, et cetera, at the sure. time, but. In hindsight, I think it was that. I think it's somebody that um, has that need to succeed and realizes that may or may not happen here. You don't, in politics, you don't know, you know, nobody Mm -hmm. knows. And I think even bigger than the transition out of office was the the visibility and vulnerability of running for office that Mm. probably affected that negative side of, of being a three more than anything else. Did you realize at some point that, okay, this is revealing... I can use this phrase, may sound a little hard, but character defect, right? Or or personal issues, okay? That this is aggravating a piece of 
my essential makeup that needs addressing? Like, is my have I become over-identified with a particular image, with a, a successful image or a persona? Any of yeah, that I, stuff? I, I wish I wish I could say at the time I, I, I made those connections. Now I look back and go, yeah, that was revealing something about me um, that that needed to be addressed, and I can see that more in hindsight than I could at the time. But at the time, like I said both running for mayor the first time and then re-elections are a lot easier than your first elections right. but you're in and then running for god the first time both of those i think revealed something about me that wasn't healthy and i i just i knew i was torn up inside and i couldn't you know it, it took me a while to figure out why it mattered so much to me how did you process it though i mean did yeah. you i'm I asking everybody this yeah. question so yeah. don't feel yeah. have you ever been in counseling uh, I have probably not as much as I should have, right. um, but uh, and it, it actually in hindsight it would have been great to have been in counseling in the middle of that, right? Because it's it's listen running for office, I don't know for maybe for somebody it, maybe an eight would love it or something I don't know, but for for most people it's not fun. It's a very stress inducing high wire act, and like I said, the, part of it is that whole idea of you know there's no runner up trophy you either win or you go home. And so many people are helping you, and you don't want to let them down. And it's like I said, it's just such a front page type of existence. And um, at the now looking back, I would say it would have been great to have somebody helping me. Like, okay, why do you have such an upset stomach about this? And one of the stories I tell in the book is one of my very best friends came over about four nights before, or maybe about a week before the election, my first election as mayor. And I'm like I said, I'm, I wish I could say I wasn't, but I had a deep stomach ache. I was, I was a knot. Yeah. And he, you know, said, I want to come see. He said, I can't, man, I'm too busy. No, no, I'm, I'm going to come see you. And he said, you know, it's going to be okay. And I kind of looked at him and like, have you seen a poll that I haven't seen? He goes, no, I have no idea. He said, but it's going to be okay. One way or another, this election is not, you know, going to determine you know, who you are or, or whether or not the God of the universe still loves you and means, means you well. Uh, and that was a great kind of like, oh, yeah, I'm so wrapped up in this that I've kind of lost that picture of, of something beyond whether this race is going to define the rest of my life or not. Or your, or your value as a human being. Yep. You know, really, I'm a four with a hardcore three wing, right? So, I mean, I got a, I know enough about three, and I grew up in, you know, in a right. place in a time right. when, you know, in a, that, town, in a place full of threes. Oh, good lord! Like, like Greenwich, Connecticut, ground zero, <laughs> epicenter of threeness in the universe, right? But I, I, you know, there are times even now, just to be honest, where you know you get into a situation like, you know, you write a book about the Enneagram, it does pretty well, and then you wake up one day and you realize I'm Enneagram guy. Yeah. And that means, you know, it, it's now provided me with some things I really like. Right. You know, it has right. stroked yep. my right, ego. Right, right, right. It has, you know, made mm -hmm. me an income I really enjoy. It has done all this stuff. And one day you wake up and you go, who, would have, who am I? Yeah. Like, am, yeah. I, I've, it, you, and then you have to realize, like, I'm not Enneagram guy. I'm Ian Cron who happens to do this thing with the Enneagram, but... I've got to separate that out or I'm going to be miserable yeah. and terrified every day. Am I going to lose that? Am I going to get it? Is it going to be, okay? you know? I, I, I'm very, you know, the, one of the, the, the temptations is being the Enneagram guy, being the governor, whatever, that comes with a sense of, okay, I'm, there, there's a sense of 
being a validity of being legit. Like, hey, he's an Enneagram. That's, that's a legit deal. But you realize, like, if, if, my, uh, if my contentment is in that, that, you know, it, eventually there's going to be a new Enneagram guy. And there, there is a new governor. And, you know, pretty, I mean, yeah. I just saw some poll where, like, um, you know, 40% of the people can't tell you who the last governor, that would be me, is already. Right. And that's two right. and a half years ago. So, you know, there, there's a reality in which all that moves fast. I, the other thing hard about being a three, like I said, running's hard. Being in office, like I said, in today's world, if if you know six, if fifty five percent of the people think you're doing a good job, that's a big number in today's world. Okay, right. but that means like almost half of the people walking down the aisle of a supermarket think you're doing a bad job, right? Or the people who you know wherever you are, right. and so there's this, and and everybody, by the way, has an opinion. And for a three to have half of the people have everybody have an opinion, and have half the people think you're not all that, that that's. That, that takes a little getting used to, to as well. All right. So we had this conversation the other day, and I want to raise it again because I think it's important. I think at around the midpoint of life, or at some point, a transition has to happen in, right. a, in a person's life where you've crushed it, uh, well, seemingly crushed it in the outer world, right? You've been a success. You are a successful businessman. You've been a mayor. You've been a governor, etc. You are a wonderful human being, a good, a good man. And I mean, good not in that, uh, in, not in that shallow sense of word, but good. I mean, the, the 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 real quality of goodness. I mean, that's something Annie and I have have spoken about uh, oftentimes since we've come home after being with you guys. Is that you know the two of you are good people. You know, like really but fine, I'm, fine I'm, souls. I'm drafting off of Chrissy's wake there. But well, <laughs> you know, however it goes, it, it is true. So, I mean, I guess my, my question is, making the transition from that to tr- turning, and I think this is important, turning the focus inward, uh, turning your attention toward matters of the soul, toward the development of your heart, um, and... Have you made that turn, and are you are you? If so, what what work are you doing in that area of your life? You know, so it's been interesting. Like I said, literally, the, I, I meant what I said. The world moves on really fast, mm-hmm. and so there is an adjustment. I think the hard and for me, this you know, being the two and a half years since I've gotten out of office, in some ways, has been the time of the best growth, and I realize, you know, when you get in that world and it's moving so fast, you realize how um, kind of how self-centered you are. You realize mm. like, oh, wow, yeah, I forgot, you know, had my shoulder rep- replaced about six weeks ago. And, and I remember like, oh, yeah, I remember two or three, and I thought, that feels like a big deal. I remember two or three people in my world who had joints replaced while I was, you know, in the middle of that. And I don't, I think I might have asked about it once or twice. So, you know, you realize just how myopic you become in that. Mm. Um, and so working through that. And then I think the second question is this, there's a certain, when you're on the backside of something, there's a certain um, contentment that comes. And one of the questions I've had to ask myself is, would I have that same contentment if I had lost? Mm. If I, I mean, if I had been, if, you know, if I had run and for mayor and lost and none of that ever happened or run for governor and lost, or if, if you weren't the Enneagram guy, whatever it is, you know, I have to ask myself, is my, is my contentment been built on the fact that, yeah, at that point in time, you happen to get more votes than whoever you were running against, which is, you know, a, a pretty circumstantial s- situation. Hmm. Boy, it's a struggle for me. 
I'm just going to be honest and yeah. say, I, you know, there are some days I get up and I think to myself, my self-esteem has gotten way too tethered to what I do. Yeah. I, I'm, I sometimes, my question would be, my, my self-esteem slash contentment slash um, self-vision of my self-worth is tied up in the fact, oh, yeah, I did something. Mm-hmm. You know, I climbed that mountain. Mm-hmm. And so now it's easier for you to look and say, why, why are you struggling so much? Uh, and somebody might say, well, I, hadn't, I didn't get a chance to climb that mountain. And uh, the most recent question I'm asking myself is that, like, what if all that hadn't happened? Would I have that same sense of contentment or would I be striving, trying, I, I got to find a mountain to climb? Mm. Do you? I don't feel that way now, um, but I, I don't, again, my question's more of, if I had lost that, would I still need to have some, some trophy to hang on the wall? Yeah, and I think most threes would say, like probably. I would say, yeah, probably. Probably. And, and I would also say that um, I think most threes, in, in many ways, the saddest number on the Enneagram is a three who did not live up to the potential right. that they thought right. they could have. right. To, if they haven't made peace with that, it's pretty hellish. Yeah. You know? And so, I mean, you know, that, that to me, that would be, on the flip side of that would be, you do meet those people who are threes and life didn't work out perfect for them it, for a variety of reasons. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we all, life can, can do that way. The ball takes funny bounces. And you meet them and you go, they, they got past that. Life didn't work the way that they thought it was supposed to. And yet there's still a contentment there. They have to work for it, though, They do. And they, they have worked for it. And that, that's why I say those are the people I meet and I'm really impressed with. We, uh, we, uh, the, both of us have been involved in a conference uh, down in Florida, which is for what I think they call high-trajectory leaders, <laughs> right? So it's a, it's a, it's a pretty right. good-looking bunch, right? right. right? They, there's a mm-hmm. lot of credentials in They're the room. They're younger than we are. We They're might way have. younger than we are, right? <laughs> try, and, and the conference is designed to try and help them not make the same dumb mistakes <laughs> exactly. that we did, right? And, and I... Um, heard a guy there speak and he had been uh, i think he was a lawyer uh and had been very very successful yeah and but reached the last 10 years of his life and not in a good space right feeling uh a little bit like a i think a little bit imposterish um didn't love what he did anymore hadn't for quite some time but you know he had a country club and he had you know expenses and this thing and the next thing and uh he just hit that moment as a three where he said um you know i have to i have to go on this inner journey and i love what he said to me one time he said you know he says sometimes i get his name was david he says sometimes i get up in the morning and i just go daviding and I'm like, well, what does that mean yeah. even? I think I get what you're saying, but, right. you know, do right. you unpack that for me? I'm curious when people say stuff like right. that. And basically, you know, in his spiritual journey, in his journey of life, he realized, you know, uh, I'm valued not for what I do or for what I've achieved, but for who I am. Yeah. And exploring the I am part in this phase of my life is wonderful. Huh. Not the I do. Yeah me yeah. but the i am me what how does that resonate with you where are you on that journey you know one of the again when you were saying do you, do you miss you know the troopers dropping off at the front door of the right. rhyme and i said well there's a trade-off that the trade-off is 
there's just so much more space in your life. Right. And I don't know how to des- describe that any other way, which allows you to think about things. I mean, I can, I can get up in the morning and, you know, sit in my chair overlooking, you know, we, we live in Knoxville and you can see the Smoky Mountains from my, from my den. And I can sit there in my den and think about things and write in my journal for much longer than I did when I lived in the governor's residence. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, that's, that's just open up the ability to think about things. And some of those are things like that you just realized, I just missed. I just, I just missed as I was pushing about being a, a full agenda three. Right. And now you feel like you're, um, maybe I would say, call it reclaiming the authentic self? I, I, think, that's, I think that's fair. And, uh, or maybe even, I don't know if it's reclaim or something. It might be rediscovering. I mean, rediscovering. I, yeah. I just think... Um, or discovering, maybe take the re out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you're a person who has been achievement oriented all your life, you can you can brush by all of that. Mm. And um, I, you know, I think being being out of office and having that behind me has made. Like I, said, I don't. I just don't know a better word that it's opened up space to to spend some time thinking about that and doing and trying to dig into that a little more than I historically have. So before I move on to this next question, I want to ask you this one. What are you reading right now? Mm. Or what have you seen that not has not so much as that has not just, you know, been satisfying on an intellectual level, um, but has sort of deeply moved you maybe in some way, some realization, some line from it where you're like, wow, that, that hits me at sort of a really deep place. I, I'm trying to think, I, I don't know that I have something that 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 I'm I'm reading that I've read right now that comes to mind like that. I, I'll be honest with you, a lot more of that is conversations that I have with either Chrissy or my kids, and I realize how much I'd gotten in the habit of of having a. Um, a purposeful but effect but but efficient conversation, mm. and I, I, my son even grabbed me one time at the in the middle of a Thanksgiving celebration of my whole extended family, and he goes, "You realize you're doing it, don't you?" I go, "What?" And he goes, "Every person you talk to, it's like you have a calculated time you're going to talk to him, and you're going to move on." Mm. And I wanted to go, "No, I don't," and I realized, "Yeah, I do," and I'm still getting over that. I mean, I still. I was in a conversation yesterday with somebody who was going through something really hard with a family member, and I realized, like, I, I was moving that conversation toward completion more than I was toward um, seeing if there was a way I could help. Now, Anthony, are you hearing this? Because mm-hmm. this is huge, right? Mm-hmm. This is like, this is when I hear threes talking like this, and I go, oh, this is so great. <laughs> because yes. that what you're describing yeah. is really yeah. textbook three stuff, yeah. right? I, I actually even have written here uh, in, in some notes, I said, the superpower of threes is their ability to make things happen by yeah. finding the most direct right. path to the goal right. line, removing obstacles that get in the way, and looking good and competent doing it, right? I mean, that's... Yeah. You know, a, you know yep. that, that can be leveraged for the good or it can turn sideways on you in relationships. And part of the problem for three sometimes is they get so good at that stuff. Yeah. Wanting to move along. They don't like to get stuck in other people's feelings too long. I think it's really fair. And then you, and you realize like every now and then you have these 
um, I don't know a better term than holy moments mm-hmm. that because you don't want to get stuck, you're moving on and you miss it. Yes. Yes. And then uh, that's where threes can get into a lot of trouble in, in relationships. Or even not. I mean, sometimes threes are good enough to, to know how to not get in trouble. But I, I'd put it to miss a lot of opportunities. Mm-hmm. I mean, I got in my car yesterday. Like I said, I was talking to a, some friends who had a family member who was, you know, recently discovered addiction and dealing with that. And I just realized, like, I, 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 I made what should have been a 30-minute conversation into a five-minute conversation. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I kind of got back in my car and thought, what, where am, what am I doing? Where am I going? Right. Mm. Well, that's a great question for a three to ask. Yeah. Mm. And I think that is the goal of the Enneagram, right? Is you discover in a very, and you will like this. I, one of the reasons I think three sometimes like the Enneagram is it is so efficient. It does such a great job yeah. of describing you very, very quickly. Right. You don't have to do a lot of reflection. Someone else has done the reflection and given <laughs> me a report, right. you know. <laughs> and uh, you just highlight it for me, it'd be even better. Yeah, right. And make it actionable. Right. right. And, and, and yet that is the soul work. It's the ability to step back from yourself observe an interaction either in reflection or yeah. in the moment yeah. and begin to say, uh, without checking out of the conversation, what's going on with me right now? Can I slow down? Can I recognize that this is a, uh, a challenge for me that I need to work, you know, this is an area mm-hmm. I need to work on. How can I get more present in this conversation yeah. right now and be here for that person without looking at my watch? Right. Right. And, one you know think about it so if you're a three and then you're in a, a position like being governor it's like um it's like being a three on steroids right. because in some ways I, there'd be times when chrissy would come to me and say gosh i just met so and so and you know they're having problems with their getting their medicaid and i'm like you know chrissy there's there's 6.8 million tennesseans i gotta deal wholesale i can't deal retail <laughs> you know what i mean if, there's, if i deal right. with everybody's right. medicaid I, I just literally can't do it and that's actually right. I mean, you can't. You sure. literally can't take every phone call. You can't do that. But there's a sense in which that also leads to a callousness mm-hmm. that you're realizing like, okay, well, here's the big picture on that. We're spending, you know, umpteen billion dollars on that, and we're getting this much reimbursement from the federal government, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and here's how it works. All of which is true, but, you know, within that, if you've lost the fact that that's fine, but, you know, Joe and Lisa's son who you know who's disabled is needs to rely on this and it's not working out you're you miss that too you know we uh i years ago uh when i was in greenwich i was assigned as an episcopal creep creep (laughs) (laughs) that was awesome wasn't it that'll be remembered i'm gonna hear that i'm gonna hear about that again so, but, 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 hey, my friend, Mr. Floyd, go ahead. Yeah, exactly. So, but I was assigned to be Desmond Tutu's chaplain for two days. Oh, wow. Now, just before that sounds impressive, that just basically means I follow in his wake doing anything he asks me. From, Still, on a resume, that's really cool. Yeah, so, but they call it in the Episcopal okay. world his being his chaplain, yeah. right? And I had to get him to a... Uh, a fundraiser dinner where I mean I think every table was fifty thousand dollars right, you know, right and you know it was for some some right. great thing and he was late 
you know, we were like, so we're in the we're in the the limo, uh, and we get there, and I'm looking at my watch because I'm the one responsible for getting him there on right. time, and you know, I got a bishop and others who are like, right. you know, what's Kron doing, right? Yeah. And uh, we get there, and there's a line of ten ballets, ten ballet parking yeah. guys, and all with white shirts, black pants, hands really, you right. know, put together, uh, and you know, hands bu- behind their back, standing right, yeah. in line right. as Desmond's getting out of his car. And he goes up to the first guy in the line, and he takes him by the hand. And, I, and he doesn't stop holding your hand. I mean, right. Desmond Tutu, right, I'm just right. telling you, once right, he's right. got your hand, you're, you, yeah, you're there. he doesn't shake his hand and let right. it go, right? And he's got both of his hands holding this guy's hand. And he's like, tell me your name. Do you have children? What are their names? How old are they? You, you, literally. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? And then yeah. I'm thinking, okay, well, the, he goes inside, to yeah. the next guy. Yeah, yeah. And then... The next yeah. guy. We went all the way wow. down the line. And it was like another 30 minutes before we got inside. And I'm like, you know, shrugging my shoulders like, it's not, I'm not in control of what That's right. a Nobel Prize winner wants to do for the next 30 minutes, right? But what was so moving about it was, is he didn't miss a person. Yeah. You literally would yeah. watch him. He didn't miss a person en route to the thing. Right. You know? Right. I found that so amazing. And no, a great model. I mean, uh, and I... I missed a lot of people along the way and still have to work at not missing people. Back to your analogy, yeah. not missing people. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great thing, though, for a three to self-observe and then say, mm, I got to work on it. You know, I got to work on Lots it. Lots of work. All right, everybody. Faithful presence, the promise and the peril of faith in the public square. My good friend, former governor of Tennessee, Bill Haslam. A remarkable soul. And I really, I don't, you know, I'm not blowing smoke here. <laughs> I, I am a fan. I am a fan and uh, of you and of Chrissy, of your kids, of, you know, of, of your life and, and all the things that you've accomplished. And I like it for who you are and not for what you've done. Well, I appreciate it. And, and uh, back at you. Um, you've you've yeah. been a great friend to us and help to our family. And I, I, the last one, one year, our whole family read uh, The Road Back to You. And we, had, we literally had some of the best family discussions we've ever had. So well. you've... you've, you've You've helped our family way more than, than we've done for you, I, I assure you. Well, hey, everybody, I want you to, uh, again, check out Faithful Presence, The Promise and the Peril of Faith in the Public Square by Bill Haslam, available, obviously, on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever fine books are sold. And I want you to and also... not so fine books. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I want you to follow Bill on Twitter, at Bill Haslam, H-A-S-L-A-M, on Instagram, at Bill Haslam, and on Facebook, at Team Haslam. Been a great conversation. You're it's been a fine fun. soul. Anthony, as always. Yes. You too are a fine soul. Thank you, brother. Same you, to you. Even though you're a four. <laughs> <laughs> With you. Yeah, I was gonna say. I was gonna say. Hold on a minute. <laughs> it's true. It's true. We'll we'll have to to, to live with that. Typology <laughs> listeners, remember these words. Uh, may you have love, may you have joy, may you have peace, may you have healing, may you have rest. Until next time.